When we hear conversations involving immigration, we often hear political rhetoric. Public policies are typically first to be attacked or praised, usually depending on the position of the group's narratives. Personal beliefs around loosening or broadening immigration laws are placed front and center in public discourse. An individual's mental well-being is often placed on the back burner while the public focuses on advocating for their positions on this matter. What we seldom hear are the much larger implications that come with immigration. Bias aside, what does the research have to say about immigration and its larger implications, such as trauma? Is there an association between the two? Is trauma an inevitable part of everyone's immigration story? If so, what can psychotherapists do when working with these clients? What should clients know before working with a psychotherapist? We'll explore these questions and more while we're in session. You're listening to In Session with Jason Carrasco, a psychotherapy podcast focusing on discussing issues pertaining to mental health for both clinicians and the clients they serve. In recent times, there has been more outspoken conversations involving immigration, particularly when associating it back to politics. Dichotomous stances on immigration have been voiced, where it is either filled with support and advocacy, or filled with racism, hatred, and violence. Though one may be able to see how these events can be distressing, does that warrant calling it trauma? When speaking of trauma, what exactly are we talking about? Levers and Hyatt Burkhart, two academic researchers, state that when thinking clinically, trauma refers to events that are extremely difficult and overwhelming for individuals. It is these overwhelmingly difficult events or experiences that leave us with a unique injury. How this injury develops is different for us all, but the fact is that the injury itself remains. Notice how this clinical definition of trauma doesn't stipulate that something traumatic has had to have happened to you directly. This is where the complexity of trauma begins to make itself known. Trauma could occur with a direct experience, sure, but it could also come about in various other ways, such as witnessing an event, internalizing messages from experiences, and even through our ancestors. Historical trauma could be a component that is passed down through each generation within the family system. With this basic conceptualization of trauma, how does this tie into immigration? Researchers have looked into this very intersection of trauma and immigration, and it has been studied in different ways. One study found that with some immigrants, as a result of their migration, they were experiencing flashbacks or nightmares around separation from the homeland and their family of origin, along with a profound sense of loss and symptoms of dissociation, all of which were symptoms found to be consistent with post-traumatic stress disorder. Why might this be the case? Why would displacement bring about such strong reactions in some individuals? Foster, another researcher, looked into this very question and was able to identify four specific migration states which have been found to have a high probability of experiencing a form of traumatic event. 
which in turn could lead to psychological distress. Foster explains that these four migration states are pre-migration trauma, in-transit trauma, resettlement trauma, and trauma of general post-migration living conditions. These four distinct stages have the potential of exposing an immigrating individual to a distinct form of trauma, which has been found to manifest as PTSD, clinical depression, and or acute anxiety disorders in immigrant populations specifically. Now, these pieces are unique as they speak to trauma at various stages of the migration process. Whereas another key concept, acculturative stress, speaks more to the external pressures an immigrating person may experience and in turn, internalize. These external stressors can include assimilation and enculturation into a new society, a new culture. These stressors are exacerbated when facing various systemic barriers due to language capabilities or lack thereof, lack of secure employment and housing, as well as financial insecurities. Research has found that as a result of acculturative stress, immigrant populations often face specific mental health conditions such as anxiety, depression, and substance misuse. In addition to the process of immigration itself being filled with potential for harm, there is the political sphere to contend with as well. As countries begin to discuss immigration reform and harmful narratives begin to be exchanged in the public domain, documented and undocumented immigrants begin to experience yet another form of trauma. A study found that among immigrants in the United States, Latino families were the most to report concerns of deportation for themselves or their family members, representing 57% of those surveyed. These concerns over deportation correlated with significantly higher levels of extrafamilial acculturative stress. Researchers have continued to expand on the existing knowledge of trauma and immigration and have expanded the literature to include the experience of refugees. Some of the research findings found that young refugees face structural and cultural inequalities that significantly affect their overall health and well-being. Additionally, these researchers have expanded their findings to include a conversation around barriers that refugees often face when attempting to access various forms of community supports through healthcare or social services. Common barriers for both immigrants and refugees has been language skills, low income levels, lack of employment, vastly different cultural norms, and general knowledge around navigating the established service systems. Though it is important to keep these barriers in mind when working with immigrant populations, do the research findings translate over to the actual lived experiences of others? To get some more insight, I sat down with Priya, a recent Canadian permanent resident, to talk about some of her experiences. So I was pretty young when I had to move from home, and home is uh, United Arab Emirates to me. I'd lived there all my life, and I moved halfway across the world to Canada on my own to come study uh, for university. So I guess it has been an, I want to say an interesting experience just because it's been, it was a huge change for me. I guess there was a different culture in Canada. Uh, the people I met um, in Canada 
the I guess the day-to-day life in Canada was so very different from what I had experienced as a kid, as a 17-year-old. And when me coming to Canada as a 17-year-old, uh, not knowing what to expect in Canada, how to talk to people in Canada, how to dress like Canadians, it, it was a pretty interesting sort of transition for me. Being 17, did you come to Canada on your own? I guess I was handheld into this uh, into the university life and I had my mom with me but it was only for a couple of weeks after which she left. I did notice this was very strange or this could be very strange to Canadian universities because a lot of parents did not or at least I didn't see too many parents um, walk through the university campus with the kids uh, after a couple of weeks. So I guess in the first day when they moved in you would see parents with the kids but then after then the parents sort of left the kids to manage on their own, whereas I had my mom. I would come home to my mom. So that was a bit interesting to me. I felt like I I needed that support when I came. It definitely makes sense to have that support available, particularly when you're doing such a big move, right? Um, going from one place of, of that's familiar to a completely unfamiliar location. But one thing that, that I'm, I'm wondering about more is uh, you had talked about how there was this strangeness in coming here and and a lot of questions that were in your mind around what are the Canadian people going to think. So just speaking more about that culture piece, what did you notice when you came from UAE here to Canada? I guess the first thing I noticed was um, how people dressed. So back home in UAE, everyone dresses a bit conservatively. Um, they wouldn't wear, they'd wear pants, they wouldn't wear skirts above the knee, uh, you wouldn't wear shorts back home in UAE, and then when I came here and I noticed a lot of people, and it was around, I came here in August, at the end of August, it was still summer, and I saw a lot of women wearing shorts, so that was a bit surprising to me, and then I was thinking, am, am I expected to wear the shorts? I don't know how I feel about wearing shorts. Uh, another thing was just how openly com- they communicated. When I first moved, oh, I guess during my childhood, and uh, uh, I guess at 17, I was pretty introverted. And when I would see people communicate so openly with everyone, it was a bit scary for me. After having noticed the, the differences in, in fashion and communication style, did you notice yourself adopting some of these things? It took a while. I remember when, this is just in the first year, I'd compare my dressing style to all the other women in the classroom, and I'd notice, oh, this is what I'm supposed to be wearing. Or if I need to integrate better into the society, maybe I should adopt wearing these uh, this kind of clothing, but I did not do it for at least a year in. I, I would stick to my conservative clothing, and I would I would be very shy. I was very introverted in my first year in Canada. Um, now, I just wanted to uh, ask a few uh, last questions. Just thinking more now about the, the system itself, just the process of immigration. Um, either in your own personal experience or what you've seen with those around you, what's been an issue or concern that keeps coming up for those navigating through immigration? My personal experience is most of the time people 
who I work with when it came or who I've dealt with when it came to immigration, they were very they're very polite. They help you with the questions you've had. I have. Not to say I haven't had any bad experiences. For example, my first experience with applying for my student's visa or permit, that wasn't positive because the visa officer was a bit angry, wasn't very kind or wasn't very polite. And I think that was my first impression of Canada. And do I have to or will I experience the same sort of emotion when I go to Canada? And when I first landed in Toronto at the Canadian airport, uh, someone took a look at my passport and I noticed there was, it was a bit strange that everyone with a Canadian passport and who didn't. So I actually, uh, am a minority. So, um, I, I noticed people who weren't minorities, they were able to pass through immigration, the lines at, um, the airports within, uh, within a minute or two. But the visa officer spent quite a bit of time uh, working with me and looking at my passport and asking me questions. Why are you here? Where are you going to go? Where are you going to live? Who are you going to live with? What's the address? Um, but it just it, it felt a bit intrusive at some point. So uh, a bit of their demeanor was, I guess they are supposed to look tough, but it wasn't a very pleasant interaction with them. I mean, with that being your first impression, um, do you think your experience would have been any different uh, had you had less proficiency in either English or French? I think it would have been worse for me. If I didn't have a positive experience being as fluent in English, I'm definitely sure that if I spoke um, with an accent or if I spoke uh, in broken English, that I would have had... uh, a less pleasant experience with uh, immigration. Well, thanks so much for taking the time and answering those questions, Priya. I really appreciate it. Thank you. After sitting down with Priya and hearing more about her experiences as she navigated through the system of immigration here in Canada, I was left wondering, what's missing from this conversation? I was really curious to know more about the other perspective, that of service providers. That's what led me to reach out to Natasha. Natasha is a registered early childhood educator in the province of Ontario and frequently works with immigrant family populations. We sat down to discuss her experiences as a service provider to these families. So I have definitely come into contact with people that um, have come from other countries. Um, oftentimes, the first main um, issue is like a, a language barrier. Um, so generally, when they first come to us, we want to tell their child, or we want to tell the parent exactly how their child's day was. But um, because of the language barrier, it becomes complicated. So we've had it where specific parents don't speak any English at all. So really, all they can do is. Um, smile at us, <laughs> smile at us, um, and we just smile back. We say a couple of things, "Hi, how are you?" Uh, and that's it. The parent leaves, and then we just take it day by day. So, generally, the parents are taking some form of education on English. Uh, it's a day by day process, and we just keep trying to say to talk to them, right? So they they always need somebody to uh, converse with them to better their English. So just even by talking to them about how their child was, saying that they had a great day. Um, 
that maybe they felt a little lonely, they missed their mom and dad, so the parents are picking up basic words from us. Um, and then over time, it's been, you know, they, they come off very timid and shy in the beginning, and then end of their child's stay with us at the daycare, um, they're getting ready to leave for kindergarten, and now the parent can speak fluent English so that we can have a better conversation. So I'm wondering about two things specifically here is the, the first thing is, um, do you know how some of these parents who don't speak English at all, how do they even come to know about where you work and how do they even come to, to find, um, you to help them with, uh, childcare? More typically, I believe, depending on the area that the family is living in, um, the assistance that they're they're getting, uh, often that they will need government assistance to send their child to daycare. So the um, people that they're talking with will sort of find out the daycares that are closest to them in their area so that they will be able to bus to our location or maybe it's a short driving distance. So that's pretty much how they end up um, coming to our daycare because majority of them, I guess it would be through maybe like a government assistance. Another thing that that really struck me was um, around language and uh, just not having those skills. And I, I, I can recognize how that can be a definite barrier to a lot of people. And with that same thought in mind about language and language skills and language acquisition, how, how has it been in your experience for parents coming up to you who is more proficient in English and trying to let you know about a specific allergy or a, a, a medical issue or something that you should know about that's pretty important that, and relevant to childcare, but they don't seem to have the words to do it. Yeah, I guess <laughs> typically often a lot of the families that we have had that um, are coming from another country, they do have specific dietary restrictions. Um, none so far that I believe that I've come in contact with where it's been an allergy, more of a, uh, cultural or religious preference. Uh, so we, not only will we converse with the parent on what the child's allergic to, but their forms that they take home and that they do online. So that way they can talk with a translator or they can translate it online. Um, they can see all the questions on there in their language. Uh, and then they were, they're able to check yes and no. Has there ever been a time in your experience where there's that face-to-face -face interaction? So there's no translator, there's no online form, there's nothing to check off. It's just you and a parent and a language barrier. How has that navigation been? Yeah, it's not. That hasn't really come across as an issue. They just sort of basically drop them off, you know, and I, I find that they don't really hover. You know, I think because they struggle so much with their English that they don't want to put themselves in an uncomfortable situation where you're trying to talk to them and they don't know what to say to you or they don't understand. So oftentimes these specific parents will drop their kid off, shut the door, and then they scurry away. Eventually, when they start learning more English, they're more open to coming into the classroom, you know, to talking to you. And I've definitely seen that in the past where that has been the case. Eventually when, you know, say a year goes by and the parent is knows a lot more English and they come in and they want to talk to you and how was my child's day? 
you know, did they cry today? Did they sleep? Um, and they're willing to step foot into the room versus just standing outside, shoving them in the door and, and running away. <laughs> it's so interesting that you're able to sort of see that, that change in parents where when you first build this relationship between you and them uh, and their children or their child, how there seems to be sort of this reluctancy in, in interacting, not just with you, but just with with the building, with the daycare itself. And just like you said, drop a kid off and then just leave. But what I'm hearing you say is over time, there's been shifts that you've noticed in specific parents where um, as language proficiency increases, there's been uh, more one-on-one -on -one interactions where it's gotten to a point where you can even start talking about the child's day and how that's been. And I can just imagine how how that must be for, for parents to be able to be in a position of being much more comfortable. Yeah, like having that interaction with the parent once they begin to start learning English is so is so wonderful to be able to talk to them and to have them interact with their child within the room for them to be comfortable with it. We are always open to having parents come into the classroom and see what's going on. And um, sometimes it is difficult initially in the beginning because they are so reluctant to come in. They're so nervous and scared that maybe someone's going to make fun of them because they don't speak the language or they might say things improperly. So sometimes that becomes a barrier, but then when the parent knows how to speak English in the end, like of their child's stay at the daycare, it's a lot easier to express, you know, how much we love their child and how much we want to care for them. And these are the instances that happened today. And how can we help you? And um, here's ways that we can make the situation better. And as we start to just wrap up our conversation, um, do you think there's any other last minute things that have come to mind that speak to uh, that intersection of uh, immigration, but specifically coming from the lens of a service provider? At this moment, I can't really think of anything. <laughs> okay, so in that case, um, I definitely appreciate you sitting down with me, and thanks so much for answering some of these questions. Awesome, thanks for having me. As we've heard, both through the research and through the eyes of those who've interacted with immigration, various forms of potential trauma exist for people who are immigrating to experience. According to Statistics Canada, immigrants make up 21.9% of the Canadian population. That means 7.5 million people in Canada are immigrants. According to Immigration, Refugees and Citizenship Canada, the percentage of immigrants to Canada by period of immigration has steadily increased every decade and is currently at 16.1% for the 2011-2016 period. Immigrants are and will remain an integral part and vital part of the Canadian landscape. This is why it remains important that we address these barriers and facilitate the transition to a new home, a new culture, a new life. For recent immigrants seeking local supports in southwestern Ontario, they can contact Immigrant Services Guelph Wellington through their website at www.is-gw.ca or they can contact Wellington County Settlement Services through their website at www.wellington.ca Search for Settlement Services. 
in the Tri-Cities, Kitchener, Waterloo, and Cambridge, supports can be received through YMCA Immigrant Services. Their website is www.ymcacambridgekw.ca. Click on Immigrant Services for a wide variety of supports, including English skills, housing, settlement, etc. In the Greater Toronto Area, YMCA Immigrant Services also have offices offering similar services in the KW region. They can be reached through their website at www.ymcagta.org. All of the resources mentioned and all of the research referenced throughout this podcast can be found in the show notes attached to this episode. Thanks again for joining me. Until our next session, I'm Jason Carrasco.